Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to the Blues on Parade podcast, where all we do is talk Chelsea, talk shit about everyone else. It felt like we were back three straight wins, and to follow it up with a heartbreaking draw against Everton, it's not the best feeling, but still some positives to draw from the performance. Um, I know it's not all doom and gloom, Zach. How are you feeling after the match? All doom and gloom, Sam. Not looking <laughs> good. <laughs> no, uh, I'm feeling depressed. I'm uh, also not surprised. And uh, I'm no more convinced on Graham Potter than I was two and a half Four games ago. ago. I'm right yeah. back in the depths of misery, baby. Yeah, so three <laughs> wins in a row doesn't help. And then one draw, you're, com- you're back on the Potter out trade. Let's now. do it. Let's do it. Glass is half empty. Definitely not reactionary you know what time it is. <laughs> Andreas, are you are you on the same uh, same wave as Zach or? I am not. I am not. I I'm not overreacting to a draw. I think we'll get into the the issues in in this match in a second. It's a bummer that it's it's kind of a sour taste going into international break. Uh, for me. The real heartbreak came when USA Baseball eliminated Venezuela from the World Baseball oh, Classic. Oh, man. What was, Broke my heart. It was going to be one of the fun comebacks of the tournament. And then Trey Turner, I can't remember where he plays in the majors, but he's officially on my shit list after hitting a grand slam. Trey um, Turner's uh, on the Phillies now. He used to Dodgers. be a Dodgers, though, right? Yeah. Okay, so... Fuck the Phillies. We beat them yeah. in the World Series. Now we hate them even more. Yeah. <laughs> but hey, March Madness is in full force, which was kind of fun. I I don't I didn't keep up too much with uh my brackets crap, but like March Madness is March Madness. It's something to have on in the background. But in terms of the Chelsea performance, it's just I'm more I'm more just sad about the fact that we have an international break than anything. I I can brush this result off my shoulders. It would have been nice going into the international break with four straight wins, but unfortunately we get uh, this one sour note right before it. Um, By the way, just quickly on Venezuela, Andreas, it was an honor. The past two weeks were great being an honorary Venezuelan, but time to throw the cowboy back on. It's all about USA, baby. America. Back in. Um, <laughs> all right. So, uh, going through the starting 11, only a couple changes from uh, the last match. Keppa and goal, Fofana, Kulabali, Badia Shields back in and the back three. And then Reese James returns uh, alongside Chilwell and the midfield pairing of Enzo and Kovacic in a front three of Joao Felix, Kai Havertz, and the return of Christian Pulisic from a long absence. So, we'll start kind of more generally, because there were two points in this match where 
We had the lead, then we lost it. Um, and we got a question from Sophie Bikes, one of our favorite listeners now. She's uh, been writing in almost every episode. Why do we not keep up the urgency and just get complacent when up ahead? Because I feel like that's what happened today. Uh, I think that might be an accurate description of what's going on. Andreas, what, what do you think is, is, is the main culprit of losing, you know, like when, when we're up ahead? I think there's something to, to when we score first. If we score early, I feel like the guys sort of ride the momentum and, and have the ability to score again. It's, the, it's, it's when the shots aren't coming or, or, or we're not scoring. Like in this match, where it took us a while for Felix to score, the missed opportunities, the bad chances, and then it's like, I'm glad Felix scored finally. Good for him. Of course, he had to hit the post to score because the man has to always hit the post. But it's one of those things where it's like kind of a half chance. The ball bounced back to Felix. He finished it. So I don't think when the goals are coming in, if they're not coming in at a time of confidence, I think that's when we allow the other team to come back. Uh, in this specific match, I don't think I, I think what Sophie Bikes is saying is the norm. But I don't think in this specific match it's the case because when Decore scored, I wasn't I didn't feel like we were on our heels. It's just the fact that we suck at defending set pieces. And that's been an issue since Conte was here. Like this is an issue of Chelsea for years now. We for some reason consistently are not good at defending set pieces. And this is where these relegation fodder teams always get us whether it's direct or indirect corner kick or whatever you want to say it, the ball bounced around like three times before it got to Decore. That's garbage. And then later on, Kai scores the penalty. And in moments like that, again, I didn't think we were getting complacent. It's just you have a bad individual error that leads to Chelsea allowing a random ass FIFA regen player scoring his first Premier League goal. Like, I think the point Sophie is making is is a usual thing for Chelsea, but this time around, I think it was two things that were like blinks that were just completely against the grain of play for what the match really was showing. At least that's my opinion on it. It was uh, it it was just a comedy of errors. I think I think first and foremost, zonal marking needs to go away forever. I never want to see it again. I don't know why we're zonal marking against a team like Everton, where we know playing against a Sean Dyche team and played two blocks of two blocks of four low blocks, they're gonna try to not concede early and they're gonna nick one via set piece and they're gonna try to get away with a one nil or a one one, and we fell for it. That's all I gotta say on that regard in terms of the set piece defending. I don't know why we're zonal marking against the biggest team in the league. Match up our big boys with their big boys create overloads in our own box so we can defend effectively, stick someone on the front post to get rid of anything. Second bounces, guy on the back post should be getting rid of those. It's just that part was sort of embarrassing. Um, Obviously, going up twice and losing the lead twice in the same game is never good, but there just seems to be this sort of mental fragility that this team has, right? 
um, this feeling of, uh oh, here it goes again. The second we concede a goal and you could see it, it, it does affect the players physically and mentally. And it only the only time we even get a reaction out of the players, any sort of positive reaction after having like a 10 or 15 minute spell where we play poorly and concede, the players come back and they react and then they show that little bit of fight. And, and, and that's a frustrating thing when I'm watching this team is like, show it for the whole 90, right? Show it when you're one nil up. Don't get, don't get so fucking complacent um, and, and just rest on your laurels that, okay, we, we got our goal. We're going to get out of here now. That's not the way it works in the Premier League. Teams can hurt you. They could bring Joe fucking Schmo off the bench like they did this week. I've never heard of that guy in my entire life. Oh I'm pretty sure God. it was his debut. He bodies Koulibaly. I mean, I was just r- ridiculously terrible defending. And at first, I defended Keppa and said that, um, you know, I don't really blame him for, for not stopping that. I, that That's savable. It looked savable, at least in slow motion it did. And and his positioning was off, his reactions were off. It was just I think if Mendy's in goal, there's a possibility he yeah. he, he even saves that. It's just he had a full hand on it. That's the savable. Regardless of position, whatever yeah. he yeah, okay. it hit his whole hand, it's savable. Yeah. So mm-hmm. it didn't didn't have a strong enough hand on that one. It was I don't know, man. There's so many different reasons that I could sort of pull out. I mean, we could talk about the substitutions, which I know we're going to get to a little later. But ultimately, for me, it's it's this mentality that the team has. I understand that we needed to go defensive, and I understand that you know we just needed a result against a team like Leeds, where we haven't won on you know ten or eleven matches on the spin. And for a match like that, you just got to get over the line. But after you build up momentum, three wins on the spin, go for the fucking jugular. Like, get some players out there who are going to keep the pressure on them, keep Everton on the back foot, not allow them to come onto us and attack. Dwight McNeil looked like a world-class footballer for the second half because he was all over the goddamn place. Anytime he wanted the ball, he got it right to his feet. And it it, it was just... I, I'm just going to stop because I can kind of go on forever, but you can see my frustration there. I, I think this team is, has, has a real mentality problem, and I think it honestly starts from the top. That's new? Wow. <laughs> and the thing about the subs, I agree with you 100%, Zach, that those subs made sense in the Leeds match, in the in the Dortmund match. Like, these are matches where our form has been shit, and all we need is a win. Like, we need a win desperately. Um, so we can play defensive, bring on, you know midfielders for forwards and solidify the, the the all you know the the back two phases of the of the of the game and not really care about scoring again but in a match like this where we're only up one goal and we have a lot of young hungry guys like you know Pulisic here before we get into it we did get a question this one is from Human Capital Department at HC Department, he said, I'd like to talk about the Chelsea substitutions and the rationale behind them. So, um, as you know, as I was just getting into, Pulisic came off for Gallagher in the 62nd minute, which seems like the fifth match in a row where Gallagher was the first guy off the pitch. That's the um, predictable sub. It is a predictable sub, but it's not a like-for-like swap. Yeah. It's 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 adding another midfielder and taking off an attacking threat. Then 
you know, the rest of the defensive subs came on in the 86th minute. Felix came on for Chukwameka. That, okay, that that's, that kind of makes sense. I mean, Chukwameka isn't necessarily a pure midfielder, but he kind of is. And then Fofana coming on for, I mean, sorry, Chalaba coming on for Fofana. Um, Fofana was, it did look like he was cramping up a bit, so that, you know, makes sense. And then the goal in the 89th minute, just a few minutes after those two uh, last two subs, um, it it's just frustrating to see those moves. And maybe I'm a hypocrite um, for being annoyed by this when, I guess, when Graham Potter makes those same subs and we end up winning... It's kind of like, oh, he made the right decision, but now, because of the result, I think that they're head-scratching substitutions. And, I don't know, is that is that hypocritical, Zach, to think that way? No, I, I, think, I think the same, actually. I, we're at the point now where, and I've been on record saying this, I don't think three wins on the spin is going to change my tune on Potter whatsoever, and it didn't. I needed to see a run of form, not only from the team, but also from him in terms of selecting the right team, making the right changes, and, and, and figuring out the right tactics, match in and match out, where we don't look like we're getting completely overrun by teams like Burnley, who have the most straightforward system you could possibly imagine. Vertical long balls and set pieces. Um, now, the, the substitutions were confusing. I think I, Connor Gallagher, I said it's predictable, not in necessarily a negative way. I think he's been decent when he's come on lately. I think that move is just to sort of solidify the midfield when our energy starts to drop a little bit. He brings on Connor Gallagher, and he's probably our best counterpresser on the bench. Um, and, you know, he, he's a live wire. He provides a lot of energy. So to bring him on in a match like this and in match, matches in the past, it made sense. Um, the one that really made me kind of scratch my head was the Chuck Omeka one. Um, I love the guy. I'm a huge fan of his. I do want us to get to see him play, but this match was just begging for pace. And Mudrik and Madweke were just sitting there. And, you know, when when um, Everton started to get on the front foot a little bit, I feel like that's the perfect time to sort of introduce a new threat in behind. Somebody with fresh legs that could just sort of make those tireless runs time and time again to keep their back line honest, but to also create those gaps between defense and midfield where we can retain the ball and sort of keep possession and regain control on the game. And that was the part that, that was one of the things I noticed that just, sort of drove me up the wall it's like against a team like everton one of the easiest things you can possibly do is control the game because they don't even want they don't want the ball that's not what they're about so towards the end of the game when they started pressing us and, and starting to force the issue they were obviously trying to get possession of the ball so they can create their own chances and we were just completely allergic to keeping it away from them um, I think a guy who can provide a threat in behind, like a Mudrik or Madueke, if they're peeling off the back shoulder of a Tarkowski, for example, they're keeping that back line pinned back and they're allowing our midfield um, those little half spaces to operate, regain possession, and then sort of recycle the game and control things again. And, and those are just like some of the little things that I'm noticing that I don't know if, 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 if Potter's picking them up or not. I don't know if he just doesn't give a fuck and he wants to go fully defensive. That's kind of the vibe I got, but... When it doesn't work, you're left with egg on your face. I mean, that's the risk you run when you continuously try to play this way. And you're utilizing players that don't necessarily fit the way you want to play in that situation anyways. Connor Gallagher is not a defensive substitution if, you, if you're looking at it at face value. Chuck Omeka is not a defensive substitution if you're looking at it at face value. He's a more technical player. He's good with the ball at his feet. It's not going to be running in behind and 
you know, keeping your back lines pinned back and creating those little half spaces that I was mentioning before. So it was just frustrating for me in, in that regard, um, especially when, you know, guys like Kai Havertz really weren't, um, you know, running the channels like he normally does and providing that energy in those in those spaces like he does. So it was just something that was glaringly obvious and missing, and he completely missed it when he made the substitution. So. I think context is super important here. I completely disagree with everything because Polisic was never going to play 90 minutes. This is his no, first match, I taking agree. him after the 60, yeah. done. You mentioned you're not going to put Gallagher straight in the 11, but he deserves the game time. He has been good. Sure, he's not a direct offensive threat, but you can act, you can argue that he has enough work rate to work in the midfield and then go and attack as well. Now, my big issue here is I think this whole, like, oh, these subs were awful, is because Graham Potter has been bad. If you say that our manager is Jose Mourinho and he brings on two tall motherfuckers against the tallest team in the Premier League who is chasing a goal in the last five minutes, nobody doubts him. Because what's Everton going to do at the end? They're going to launch it, and they're going to try to play a ball in the air. And that's what they were trying to do. And the goal didn't even come from the air. It came from Koulibaly being an idiot. So the subs didn't fuck us over it was a guy that was there the full 90 and on top of that like zach i get your point where we can run in behind stanford bridge is a tiny pitch even if if everton doesn't play a low block which i don't think they ever got out of the low block three minutes isn't going to do anything for madueke or mudrick to do anything like it's the 86th minute like tell like chukwameka is good with the ball if anything you can argue that we should have. I'm not. If, I'm if not we're subbing in Mudrick in with three minutes left, though. I'm giving but, him fifteen or twenty. You okay, keep well, on the gas. All right, we took it off against a team that's battling relegation. I I don't know how any anybody can defend that. We have yet to prove that we can score five times. Like I don't see. Like I think this is again like the team that was there was doing okay. Like I don't think Everton really was threatening. Like there was no. Please tell me the chances apart from the Ducure header. And the actual Sims goal that was a threat. Doesn't matter. They scored. No, no, it, but it, it does because you're telling me there's we're levels though. The like, gas. like we had but control. This is what I'm saying. This is the Premier League. There's levels to this shit. You can't just sit on a one nil and expect to ride home with it every single time. We're not. It's not like we're bringing on John Obi Mikel and 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 Michael Essien off the bench to kind of shore things up. We're bringing in Connor Gallagher and Chuck Lameka. These guys have no idea how to sit in a low block and keep teams out. That's we not what they're trying about. Trying to sit in a low block. If you're That's gonna, my if point. You're gonna, but that's what it looked like. And that's my point. It's like, if we're not trying to do that, then what are we What are we trying to do late in games from, from minute 60 onwards? That's my frustration with this because minute, minute 1 to 60, we look good. Polisic came off. Polisic is comfortable in the 3-4-3. Gallagher is not in that role. So then our attack dies down. My issue is that the tactics weren't to keep possession and frustrate Everton. That's where I'm at. It's not the subs that piss me off. But I don't think these subs are frustrated bad. too, though. It's not just a matter of the subs sucking. Like, it's a this combination is, of this everything. Is a, I keep alluding to the last This match called for minutes. Jorginho. This match called for Jorginho. This match mm -hmm. called for Conte, honestly, because yeah. Conte can be a calming presence on both ends of it on in yeah. possession because he keeps it simple, and then he's a safety blanket. I was hoping Conte would come on. If if, if that was the argument here that Conte didn't play, I'm all with you, but like. The goal happens in the 89th minute. We're acting like the goal happened immediately after the 62nd minute sub. That's the part that I'm pissed about because that's the narrative. 
everyone's pissed off. The subs are awful. He threw the game. No, Koulibaly, who is a seasoned vet, threw the game. He put this new kid in a position to score on Kepa one-on-one. And and before that, if you want to leave before the Koulibaly error, it was a mix of Chilwell, Kai, and Enzo who lost possession in midfield. So again, the subs, nowhere in that in the buildup of this goal for me to be like, it was the subs. And that's what, why I'm here. It's like, for me, the substitutions and the rationale, I'm fine with it. Felix, you're wasting time off the clock. 86 minute he played, get him off so before he gets hurt or something. Throw in Chukomeka, who again, effort, runs around, can probably get a tackle in there because if he gets a yellow, who gives a fuck? Pofana offer Trev, saw mentioned there was cramps. 89th minute, essentially your leader in the back line fucks up. And then Kepa, who aside of a good form, has moments like this. Like we shot ourselves in the foot. And it wasn't Potter who did that. Like, I am not blaming Potter on this at all. The players on the pitch didn't finish out a game for another 30 seconds. That's why we don't have three points today. That's it. Because they responded. They responded. Sorry, Sam. Before I'm, I'm, let me Mm -hmm. finish real quick. Because, Zach, you mentioned, oh, they get their heads down when we get scored on. It was 1 1. 10 minutes later, it was 2 1. And it was the Pulisic chance, the Enzo chance. There was a couple of chances that could have been penalties that weren't blown or free kicks that were in dangerous phones that weren't blown. Penalty came. We finished it two to one. And then in the like legitimately, the only chance that I can think of that got me scared was the 89th minute chance when Koulibaly just got spun there at the end. Outside of that, Everton did not threaten me at all. Any run where they tried to play Damari Gray over the top, the back three calmly handled it. So to me, it's like we're looking to blame Potter because Potter has been the issue pr- prior to this run of form. Uh, well, I was just going to add, I th- we missed one sub uh, RLC coming in for Kovacic in the 81st. Um, so, I mean, that also... Yeah, that one. That one should have that- been Conte. That's the one I'm actually pissed about. Give Conte 10 minutes. Yeah, I think that was probably the most egregious one. I mean, Kovacic coming off was not the issue because Kovacic, Couldn't I mean, I think shit. throughout, yeah, I mean, he looked really great, but I think this is just something like throughout his ch- time at Chelsea, uh, he doesn't really have the engine to go a full 90 if he's going to be playing the way he did. Um, so that's that's not the issue. And I do, I, I think the the biggest mistake was putting in Gallagher for Pulisic. Um, I just think that keeping the formation, putting in Mudrik right then and there for the last 30 minutes would have been a great, great decision. I mean, let's talk a little bit about the return of Pulisic because um, Mudrik did have a pretty decent uh, showing in his last match. We knew that uh, Raheem Sterling was going to be out as well. So I think kind of assumption was that Mudrik would get another start, either him or Majueke. And to everyone's surprise, Pulisic came back um, from his injury. And I think he did make a pretty decent impact. I think that his direct dribbling will, contributed very well to this formation. Um, his stats weren't necessarily great. Th- 13 of 18 passes, one chance created. Uh, one out of two dribbles completed. He's only dispossessed once 
Um, and he did score um, a banger of a finish with his left foot, but the goal was called off. Uh, Felix was way offside, so maybe he... I mean, Pulisic knew that it was going to be called off, but he still took it anyway, so that was a little bit encouraging. But I think it was... It is interesting, the fact that he did get the start. I mean, coming off the injury break and, you know, the, I think, importance of integrating Mudrik because obviously with the transfer fee and and the talent, he's going to be a long-term player and it's in all of our best interest to get him incorporated. But him, his decision to start Pulisic... Andreas, I'll start off with you. Does that also give off the message that Pulisic might be in Chelsea's long-term plans? I think he's respected by Graham Potter. I think that that's something that we didn't get to see because of the injury and whatnot. But the fact that, you're right, Mudrik and Madueke were both overlooked. There is familiarity with the system. Mudrik had a good match against Leicester, uh, but totally different. Uh, what's the word I'm looking for here? Matchup. Leicester was never going to be, you know, their def- their back three is completely shaky and they're going to give you the space and the opportunity. Everton is going to sit as far back as they can and the guys each can, you know, uh, cosplay as the Empire State Building in terms of size. So, you you don't want to throw in someone like Mudrik maybe because of the sp- the fact that he can't use his speed as a as the main threat because the space won't be there. Uh, his first touch has not been the best. Madueke for some reason hasn't been using the three four three at all, um, which has been a bit of a surprise to me, especially because we've been playing right footed players on his right prefer preferred right side. So I don't know if this really means anything for Pulisic's long-term future, I think that at, at this point in his career at Chelsea, he probably is closer to the exit door than, than like an extension. I just think that in, in a quick fix moment, I think Potter went with the safer bet with someone that's comfortable in the system. Uh, I, I don't see this as Pulisic's new lifeline at Chelsea just yet. Yeah, something to point out was I, I believe Pulisic started Potter's first match too. Um, he, there was the four two three one against Wolves, which I think he was that was like the third game or something. Yeah, because because he started. I remember he started early on and he looked pretty lively before when before him and uh, Sterling got injured at the same time. Um, so it's not a surprise that he got a start here. I, I think utilizing his dribbling is obviously an advantage when you're playing against a team with a low block um sometimes the passing lanes aren't going to be there so you need a little bit of individual magic to sort of wiggle free and and create that opportunity he looked lively i thought um it wasn't necessarily a bad call to make it was a bit surprising for me that i saw him but you know once you think about it and consider all the different reasons like his familiarity with the system he is one of the more experienced attacking players that we have available right now which is kind of crazy to say but if you look across the board i mean we're fucking young, and Pulisic is, uh, he's not necessarily a spring chicken anymore compared to those guys, so, um, 
it was a overall it was a positive performance from him i still think that we need to be managing his minutes in the future i don't think he's that 90 minute player i know we talked about it um off the microphone before the podcast but um, i think about an hour is just perfect for him because that gives him just enough time to make his impact on the game obviously he starts uh, so he has that momentum but um that one hour mark is right about when his gas tank starts to run a little low so pulling him there was the right move um yeah i'm looking forward to seeing him play in the future and in terms of his his future at chelsea i'm not too sure i i have to agree with andres on this one i think he is closer to the exit door than anything um but i don't want to close the door on his chelsea career just yet i still think graham potter once has curiosities about him and um you know whether or not i agree if, if grant potter is the guy for the job or not the fact is if he's here next year he's going to be making a decision on Pulisic's future and as of right now it looks like he likes him so you know long may it continue i hope i think maybe earn himself more playing time in the future but a performance like this is a good start yeah i mean i don't know what his future holds uh Pulisic, but given i think the our wing position is probably the one where we have the most depth it makes a lot of sense to to envision him moving on after this season and i think that's probably something that is best for all parties involved um all right, let's talk about the back 3 um is this still the move for the rest of the season um we got a question from at 12, Chelsea Bants said Leicester had a higher XG versus Chelsea. Um, is that true? I don't think that w- that's true, actually. Um, yeah, Leicester was. And, okay. Uh, so, so he said 2.1 to 1.45. So this sort of defensive showing has been cornering. Uh, coming. Sorry, read that wrong. <laughs> Perhaps Conte's presence is required. What do you fellows believe will solidify the defense? So we did see signs of the back three being maybe a mainstay. Um, Kukurea seemed to perform really well. Obviously, Badia Shield has been great as well. Um, Kulabali hasn't been working in the back four, but once Tiago went down, he slotted in really great in the middle of that back three. But obviously, you know, that that last goal, I think you kind of want to put that on him. He just, like, stopped running, tripped over himself, and let, I don't know who the fuck that guy was, score. Um, So, I don't know. Andreas, do you think the 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 game time goal was that more of like a Koulibaly error or is it the system that led to that i think it's an error i think you watch that play over and over and over again it's it's a ball where the the striker is legitimately parallel just a little bit to the right of Koulibaly and Koulibaly misreads what he's supposed to do in that situation altogether it he i think he slows down a little bit thinking there might be a cutback or something along those lines when there is still so much yardage ahead of him the guy barely got into the box and koulibaly is 
is worried he might cut in instead of continue to go forward. And then when he commits on the tackle, the guy's already a step ahead of him. I think it was a moment of bad judgment on his part where he prioritized reading the play rather than defending the goal, which should be legitimately priority number one. And apart from that, you talk about what the back three did in this game and the only, the other chance was a corner kick. It was a corner kick that you know ended up bouncing around and we didn't clear it and it ended up in a goal. Nothing happened during the run of play. I think this has to be what we do for the rest of the season unless you know injuries or something cause us to move away from it because there's familiarity to it. It's been solid so far. It sucks that we gave up two goals against someone like Everton who doesn't score. Uh, and the way we got scored on is not due to the system failing is what I, what I'm getting at. One is just poor marking. And then this one is legitimately a mix of Koulibaly's individual error and then Kepa's arm sort of noodling on us. So yeah, I, I don't, I don't think there's much has to change. Obviously Conte being a mainstay in the 11 would be a huge help but it's not like we're dying to rush him back, which I think is a positive thing for us. Yeah, back three is the way to go. Um, I'm not buying the whole XG argument. Um, I, I think that's the formation that we defend the best in. And I think from here on out through the rest of the season, we have to be solid from the back first and then sort of work our way forward. Um, you know, we weren't necessarily complaining about the defending in the first 60 minutes when the back three was working to a T. We just wouldn't, we just weren't putting away our chances. And I think we'd be talking a lot less about, you know, the back line and, and, and individual errors and whatnot if we were putting the ball away on the other end. Like if we put three or four past Everton and they put two past us, we wouldn't be sitting here dissecting each goal and talking about, you know, Koulibaly as a liability in the second half and X and Y and Z. So, you know, hindsight is twenty twenty, but you know, overall we do play well in the back three. Um, I think the players are decent enough at retaining possession, at least just through sheer technical ability and individual skill. But you know, um, we do seem to create a lot more chances and get the fullbacks involved. And let's be honest with ourselves: uh, Ben Chilwell has been one of our best attackers as of late, if not our best attacker. And when Reese James is you know fully fit and in form, he's even better than Ben Chilwell. So. Um, it's a system that also can allow us to use our fullbacks if we choose to utilize them. Um, but it was one of the other things that frustrated me in this game was that you know, Reese James was pretty non-existent at times, which is definitely out of character for him. You want him, in, you want him involved in build-up play. You want him sitting higher up the pitch, and you also have Fofana sitting in behind him as a, as a safety net. So you know, um, don't necessarily want to see him pinned back too much. Uh, but we did see guys like Ben Chilwell get forward and 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 create a couple chances. Obviously, um, you know he had the pass for Joao Felix's goal that got deflected, but nonetheless he was there and made the pass. Goal wouldn't have happened if he wasn't there. So, yeah, this is the way for me. Um, at least through the end of the season, we have to see the back three. If Thiago Silva's out for the long term, you're looking at a guy like Koulibaly and his, you know, showings in the back four so far this season. They haven't been inspiring whatsoever. And, you know, I think if the back three could pr protect a David Luiz, it definitely could protect a, a Koulibaly. Regardless of the ridiculous errors he made, I, I, I do just want to to make it known. He's one of the most um, dumbfounding players I think Chelsea have ever purchased. I mean, he's a he's an international captain, but at times he looks like he's a 17-year-old kid. Um, and, he, and he turns like a cruise ship. 
Um, and, and it's just so weird because if you look at our group chat, the first half, I am complimenting him. I'm talking about how great he was, how you know strong he was in the tackle. His ability to read the game when it's in front of him is, is you know, probably second to Dago Silva on the team. Um, but for some reason, when he's stuck in a one v one situation, it just never goes his way, especially in the Premier League. I just think the guys are too big and too fast for him. Um, and then the other thing is, in the in the second half that silly yellow was the for me the catalyst that sort of started rocking the boat a little bit in that back three you started to see guys like Fofana and Badia Shield be a little bit more shaky on the ball you see guys like Koulibaly start to panic a lot more at one point I think it was five or six minutes left in extra time in regular time he literally just plays like a perfect seven yard pass touch pass straight to an Everton player because he has no idea what to do with it um, so I, I think those stupid mistakes lead up to these bigger ones that ultimately result us in result in us not only just conceding two goals against Everton, but sort of bending over to their will and, and, and allowing them to come on to us later in the game and, and have those attempts at goal and put that pressure on us. If he doesn't make that stupid challenge for a yellow card, he's probably still feeling pretty good about himself um, overall in the game. And probably doesn't make another error for the next 90 minutes but because he makes that stupid yellow card challenge you have to assume that that was in his head when that guy sims flew by him on that play you can't bring him down in that situation um you can't even get physical with him because if he goes down your the ref's gonna you know obviously think about giving you a card or, or, or issuing a foul so again i said it earlier it's a comedy of errors but um you know just just these small details that, that really need to be ironed out asap I'm going to kind of lighten the mood a little bit because you talked about that uh, Joel Felix goal and the assist from um, Ben Chilwell. First of all, that was a first-time cross. The ball came to him and he, did it, he, he crossed it first time. But even going back further, that Enzo diagonal ball was so nasty and on point. And I think my favorite part about that goal is when they were showing um when they were showing Felix's celebration everyone coming up and hugging him you could see in the background Kovacic running up to Enzo and giving him love he literally put him in like a little headlock and kissed his head and that's just something i love to see from this duo i really like these two together um and it, there's you know there's a reason why we've seen the two of them together in the last three, four matches, and it looks so good. They complement each other very well. And Kovacic, he's playing like a completely different animal. I mean, he almost had another uh, half-volley goal um, really early on. So We should get Enzo in that position moving forward because Kovacic yeah. can't hit the wide side of a barn. Hey, he can. He did it a couple matches ago. He, play it's, it, he gets Enzo one a year. Gets he gets positions. one a year. Yep. Yep. He gets one a year. Zach, did you say with Conte that Enzo gets in those positions? Is that what you said? Yeah, I mean, I, th th that's why yeah. I've been advocating for for a ball-winning midfielder that can sit in front of that back three and let COVID, and let Enzo be in those positions because he bangs that nine times out of ten. All right. Um, let's uh, finish this off kind of talking about Kai Havertz. I think, in my opinion... I thought it was 
I thought it was an okay performance by him. Um, it's three matches in a row with a goal. He's you know our leading scorer in the Premier League, and I know that the goal came off um, a penalty, but I like his attitude taking the penalty after scoring. He kind of makes a silly face at Pickford because of all of the shit Hauser. Yeah, between him. All the other players like standing around him, and I love Joao Felix and Reese James kind of being in the enforcers and like being like, All right, let's go behind the lines, go behind the line, you know, like <laughs> pushing them back. I think Reese James even got a yellow trying to, he did, <laughs> yeah. So, uh, but I don't know, did you, did you guys, Andreas, did you, I'll start off with you, did you feel the same way that this was like an okay performance by Kai Havertz? I think. It's okay, but the thing that stains it for me is the final like few minutes, right? You you have the game's tied and we are given a few chances at the end. And that's the time that you want your guys to to find that last bit of energy, that last bit of effort, that last bite and and players with the right mentality live for moments like this and it just felt like he kind of folded. It felt like he said, I, I did my part. You know, I'm kind of, that's it. You know, it's three minutes left or because they gave us five minutes at the end of the game. It was a goal in the 89th and then they gave us five minutes. And it felt like we saw the bad Kai in those five minutes. So I'm going to remember that more so than the fact that he went four for five in his shooting, you know, and the fact that he only lost one header in the game statistically even though the one you forget or the one that you can remember is the one he missed at the end so to me it's it's a fact that he's not gonna be the guy in these matches he's just never gonna be that guy for some reason he doesn't find that extra gear you know it's he's never gonna turn the speaker up to 11 in a premier league match against relegation side when we need three points he is a guy that's going to get up for the elimination game. He's a guy that's going to get there for the cup final. And he'll give you 120 minutes for those matches because there's something immediately on the line. And I think that's just a maturity thing with him. Uh, again, we know he's not a number nine. I thought, like you said, his performance was okay today versus how good he's been recently because with this side, we weren't able to do the whole Kai's a 10 and somebody runs in behind off of him. And so the reality hits that the Premier League is is just a different beast overall for Kai Havertz to be the the 10-9 hybrid. You you'd rather have a true 9. But it to me the thing that pissed me off was just those last 10 minutes. The fact that everyone is doing everything possible, the, the crosses are getting put in, we're getting the passes into the box and then the guy that's supposed to be there is not fighting for every inch, every ounce of space. It just he let he let himself get bullied at that point. And that's just the, the big disappointment part for, for me. That's what that's what it seems like with him. That's the most irritating part about his game is that it, sometimes he just seems so passive. Like he can't be bothered or like it's like it, it's almost like he's done everything he could and he's just sort of given up. And in this game, like you said, you know, overall, the body of work wasn't terrible. 
I thought it was an okay match from him. It wasn't one of his better ones, that's for sure. But again, he took his penalty really well. And you're thinking, great, you know, a little bit of shithousery to Jordan Pickford. You know, he's going to be banging the rest of the match. At least he's going to be somewhat confident. And, um, you know, like those last five minutes with the, with those headers, he's ducking the ball on a cross. He doesn't get bumped off. He doesn't get knocked off balance in midair. He doesn't get elbowed in the face. He doesn't, you know, have a, a six six center back charging right at him. Um, it's a simple cross that he could have connected with a header had he not closed his eyes and turned his head. Not looking at it, right. That's That's the type of stuff that is is for our american listeners we call it ayso type of shit it's the type of stuff that you see in you know beginner soccer where you have to teach the kids to keep their eye on the ball when it's when it's crossed over to them or or maybe not anymore because they're not teaching headers to to kids under a certain age yeah you have to be like 12 or 13 it's dumb back in the day when they didn't (laughs) fuck about our mental health no just kidding no back in the day when we were learning how to header the ball i mean that's the first thing they 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 teach you is keep your eye on the ball and you have to hit the ball otherwise the ball is gonna hit you right so you know, in that situation, Kai closed his eyes, and he's probably lucky that he doesn't get smacked in the face with the ball because he has no idea where it is at that point. And it, it's just frustrating again because Andres keeps alluding to it, beating it like a dead horse. He's just not the guy. He's not the guy that's going to get us over the line when we need him to. He's not the guy that's going to score two or three goals against a shitty team when the rest of the side is playing bad. He's not going to be the one player that's going to always give us a seven out of ten no matter what circumstance. It's just kind of you get what you get from him, and and there's such a reluctance to play anyone else in the side. It's you know just another layer of frustration, um, and another reason why Chelsea football clubs like an onion. But again, it's it, it's you know I I've said it so many times. It's uh, it's inevitable when it comes to Kai Havertz that you know he's gonna have a a run of two or three matches every fifteen or twenty where he plays well. And then he's going to have, you know, one dummy moment like he did here in the last five or ten minutes of the game. And then he's probably going to go invisible for the next four or five. So, Yeah, I mean, you call that an AYSO header. I call that some pussy-ass shit, honestly. (laughs) (laughs) That was was embarrassing. It is embarrassing. Because he did have a couple other good chances with his head. Um, one he hit down, you know, like trying to go far post, but Pickford had it. Um, and I think, you know, that was a good save, but I think those last two were really embarrassing, probably for him, um, as much as it was, uh, for me as a Chelsea fan (laughs) watching that. But yeah, I mean, it's this kind of stuff with Kai Havertz. And I know I said that. Like, overall, I thought he, his performance was pretty, like, was decent, was okay. Because it's all the stuff that he does outside of the box that I really like. And, um, you know, he, he had a quote before, like, some, sometime before the match talking about how, you know, you think that, um, you know, like, the emotion of the match, you know, it, it stays all on the pitch, like... No, it it goes with you. Like you know, if you're having bad matches, it comes home with you. You know, like your your family, your loved ones, they also feel it too. Like you know, he's like the last couple of of matches, the run of you know run of play was really rough for my girlfriend as well because of me. <laughs> and so you can really see like 
it affects his attitude and we've this is something that we knew or at least we had suspicions of and it kind of confirmed it that he mopes around a little bit when things don't go his way and he's not the kind of guy to kind of just snap back into reality and you know be confident like this is just not the the aura of someone who scored in three straight matches it really is not. Um, it's like you know. It, it, it seems like he wasn't. It's 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 an accident that he has three matches, uh, three goals, and three matches in a row. But anyway, I think uh, just overall finishing thoughts of this match. We really should have walked away with three points. It's not the end of the world, but it's disappointing. It sucks. And, you know, to lose it so late on such a stupid goal that should not have gone in um, from two errors, really, from the from your center back and your goalkeeper, who had been really solid leading up to that moment, from a fucking nobody who wears, like, the kit number 50, I think that was his number, I'd never yep. even heard of. Um, <laughs> no, I don't I think hope- Everton fans have. I don't think we'll ever hear his name ever again, and I, I for one, hope we never hear his name again, because he's officially my least favorite player in the Premier League. Sorry. I'm, I'm probably his first ever hater, um, so congratulations, Sims, or whatever his name was. Um, all right, let's just, bef- before we talk about this uh, Champions League draw, we got to do our Potter heat check, see where we're going. We did get a question. Um, I don't know if this is a question, but more like a long thought by Leonard R. Cohen. He hasn't, I haven't heard from him in a while, so I got to get into my Leonard Cohen voice. <clears throat> Dear Pod, the direction of travel hasn't changed. Under Potter, Chelsea will not compete for trophies. This guy talks about how excited everyone is and how everyone is looking forward to the game. He's Mr. Rogers. I just watched Antonio Conte's presser. That's a coach. Wait. <laughs> no, hold on. That last point. Antonio Conte, his presser was not because he wanted to be a good coach. It's because he wanted to be out of Tottenham. That's not that's not to give his team encouragement and fire. That's to shit on everyone and make them feel bad. Um but His players have given up on him, and he's given up on them in return. I'm not saying that what he said wasn't wrong. I mean, he was spot on. He pretty much said, you can fire me, but Spurs are still going to be Spurs no matter what. The fuck <laughs> <you do." laughs> that's, that's literally what he said. He said, you know, it's, he said, he he said you, can, you can fire the manager, you can, you can blame the players, you can do that, but nothing will change. That's what he said. And what he meant was it's, it's Spurs mentality. Yep. But um, going back on just like, you know, the Potter conversation, he, you know, whether he can compete for trophies. I mean, we are kind of competing for Champions League right now. We'll see what happens. But um, I don't know, Zach, where you feel. I know earlier this episode you said that you're he's kind of moving back into uh, your shit list uh, zone. Yeah, he was never on my 
you know, let's run with him and for the next five years list, but he was off my shit list and on my meh list. Um, now he's back on the shit list for me. No, um, in all seriousness, I, I, I'm not completely down on, um, you know, the team and if whether or not they could turn around the performances between now and the end of the season, I think they will. And I think we're going to win some more games between now and then. But the fact is, you can, as a manager, you can tell the team how to play. You can tell them how to set up and and, and whatnot. But if you're not managing the matches properly, um, you're not going to win games and you're not going to win trophies. And, and that's where my real thing for him is. You know, the substitutions is one thing. I, I've mentioned his man management being a completely other thing. You know, guys like Mudrich, start, Mudrich starting one week, not even seeing the pitch the next. Madueke getting three, four matches on a spin, not even getting seen for three or four weeks. Um, you know, chopping and changing the lineup and the formation and the system up until recently. You know, those are all red flags for me. And, you know, they wouldn't be if we were grinding out results and we were staying committed to this identity win, lose, or draw, but we weren't seeing any sort of identity. We weren't seeing how we are supposed to, outside of the first maybe three matches when he was in charge, we really haven't seen anything um, up until the last week or so. So, yeah, I mean, he's still, I'm still very much skeptical of his hiring. I still think it's, um, I think he's out of his depths at a club like Chelsea, at least at this point in time. And it's not a knock on him personally. I'm sure he's a nice guy, and that's and that's great. And I know the players talk about him and love him, but you know what is he actually doing for us? Not just now, but in the long term. Do we actually see him raising an FA Cup or a Champions League or a Premier League trophy? Do we see him managing you know big name personalities when they're 28, 29, 30 in the future? It's you have to ask yourself those questions. Can he take some of these players and raise their game to the next level? You know, can he make Enzo one of the 15 or 20 best midfielders into one of the top five. You know, can he make, um, you know, Mudrik a potential you know, top 10 winger in the world? Like, you know, he's at least his price tag is touted to be. Those are the questions that I don't think he can answer, you know, along with the man management and, and you know, some of the in-game decision-making. You know, his demeanor is a whole other thing. I, Me personally, I just have a bias towards the fucking lunatic managers, the ones that absolutely lose their shit on the sidelines and bark and scream and yell. I just get more of an emotional attachment to them. So I'm not going to get into that aspect because I think it's a moot point. But, you know, all things aside, you look at the team tactically, systematically, um, even even the decisions that he's making on the fly, he, he really hasn't, um, you know, shown himself in that bright of a light so far. So for that reason, I, I'm still very much on board with you know looking at potential other options this summer um you know if there are good options out there i'm chilling <laughs> i mean i said it last week like mm-hmm. i want i want seven out of the last 13 in terms of wins he was undefeated for the month of month of march but because we drew against everton because Koulibaly's an idiot it's suddenly back on him again we win two to one I don't think we have this conversation. Uh, in terms of comparing him to Antonio Conte, Conte won as a Premier League and an FA Cup, so you get to say that. But at the same time, Conte didn't come here when all the shit hit the fan and, and Potter did, so I think that's harsh to compare the two. I also think like 
Conte is a huge baby as much as we love him. The moment things don't go right for him, he does this everywhere he goes. So that to me is an entitled manager, not someone that I want to use as an example all the time. And like Sam said, we are still in the Champions League. Like beating Dortmund the way we did, like, sorry, but I'm crediting a lot of that to the manager because it takes a huge U-turn to be able to accomplish that, especially when Dortmund at the time was the hottest team in Europe. So, again, I don't think week to week I'm going to be changing my mind very much. I think, like I said, I'm going to look at March forward at the end of the season to see where I stand on it. But, hey, we are still fighting for a trophy going into April. And, uh, Probably a good time to start talking about that. Yep. Uh, so we did get a Twitter question. This one is from Ron, a.k.a. Bone Daddy Cool, a.k.a. Bone Daddy Deluxe, a.k.a. Bone Daddy Supreme. He says, talk about the Madrid draw and how you felt when it was released to how you feel about it now. And so as, uh, as Ron mentioned, we did draw against Real Madrid. Um, and the bracket, the way it's set up right now is honestly fucking ridiculous. Um, my reaction to when I saw it is, man, I miss when UEFA was corrupt because this is, (laughs) this is clear. This is a clear sign that they've cleaned up their shit a little bit. Um, (laughs) because having Chelsea, Real Madrid... Bayern and Man City all on the same half of the bracket. And then on the other half we have AC Milan, Napoli, Inter Milan, and it was uh Benfica is the last team. So one of those four teams is gonna be playing in the Champions League final. And I'm not mm-hmm. gonna dis and I'm not gonna discredit uh those teams, especially not Napoli, because Napoli have been probably the most informed team in all of Europe, probably the best team in Europe right now, but say that louder for the Arsenal fans, Tom. <laughs> I mean, Arsenal isn't even playing in champions league. So why would or I, or Europa, they're not even or in Europa, Europa anymore, baby. Thank you. You're right. Um, so, and, but the thing is like, obviously, you know, Napoli, the competition they have to play against, it's not, you know, it's not the same as, as as what we need to what we play against, um, but I mean, it, I'm saying that, but there's three Serie A teams still in the quarterfinals, so <laughs> maybe maybe I'm wrong about that. Um, but either way, we have matched up very well against Real Madrid. I think I saw in our last seven matches against them, we've only lost one time, um, and. You know, as you remember last year, um, we came very, very close to beating them in the semifinals. Um, and it really was just, it took some Kareem Benzema magic to to kill us right at the end. Or who was it? Was it, Rod- it was Rodrigo? No, no, it was, it was, it was Benzema, Benzema. In, the, in the extra time. Benzema. Yeah. And, and we, it was, Rodrigo did change. The rule change fucked us. Because yeah. we would have you know, potentially um, 
what's it called? We could have potentially just won it outright. And then also the couple VARs. But yeah, it was Benzema scored and then somebody scored again. We lost by two at the end of it all in extra time. Yeah, I think it was Rodrigo. I mean, I might be mixing it up, but um, regardless, I, I mean, Madrid, obviously in the Champions League, they're a different animal. They have been slacking a little bit in La Liga. They did lose El Clasico this morning. Um, so it's it's the same team pretty much that won Champions yep. League last year. So it, it would be foolish for us to underestimate them. But our chances against them, Andreas, where do you stand as far as your confidence level? I in a scale of one to ten, probably like a five leaning to a six, just because like you said, this is like the Champions League could be named the Real Madrid league because they've won it what 14 times they're going for their 15th mm-hmm. um and if you're talking about the last 10 years they've won it the most they've won it more times than we've ever won it in our history so the thing that i see that can benefit us and, and how this game will go down is madrid's gonna play a 4-3-3 no matter what we know this it's 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 concrete it's a 4-3-3 but their weakest area is their fullbacks our strongest area is our wingbacks so if we are able to pin them back the way you know and we bring the energy we brought into Dortmund there's a good chance we can do something there they have Nacho at left back and a very much washed Carvajal at right back. That is their options right now, period. That's it. Um, no, they, have Mendy. they have Mendy at left back. That he, dude, he, that he dude is a today. FIFA player, and that's it. Hey, he like, played today. Erlon Mendy is a, a FIFA video game he, player. He is play not Nacho, the same. Probably. Yeah. He played today, and, and he started in the match last year where in the, in the second leg. So I'm just saying so he, he's there. He played, he played 30 minutes today. Like that's it. Alaba is out yeah. with a hamstring. He might be back for Champions League. That's fair. But to me, I I think that's where where the key of the matchup will be. Obviously, they have Benzema. Obviously, they have Vinicius. But it was uh, I think it was Chelsea Bands twelve pointed out when we sit back in this three four three and then you know hit them on the counter through the wing backs through the long balls that Enzo does provide, which we didn't have last time we faced them. We have a bit of a chance. Sterling maybe will be back by then as well. Um, so to me, it's like a five leaning on a six. I think we have an okay to good chance of beating them. The thing that's tough here, Sam, is that if we look past Madrid, it doesn't get any easier. You go into Bayern or Man City. And, and so it's one of those things where it's like, do I think we match up well with Madrid? Yeah. But then I... I would then have to really scratch my brain for the next one, depending on how it all plays out. But hey, you have to beat the best to win the Champions League. So to me, my reaction when I saw the Madrid matchup was, okay, this is Champions League. But then when I saw the whole bracket, I was like, you've got to be fucking kidding me. (laughs) Yeah, 
this isn't one of those where like you could look past Madrid and then maybe you know we get a little bit Benfica of next, the next time around. Yeah, yeah. This is one of those where if we do it, it's gonna have to be the hard way, and and there's no harder way than facing the former champs. I actually like facing Real. I, I don't get too fussed when we draw them, honestly. And it's not just because of our record against them. I'm not gonna curse that, but it, I like playing the biggest and most historic clubs. And in my opinion, Real is is as big as it gets. So. Um, you know, anytime we play them, it, it gets my ears perked up. I do want to point out that they weren't very good in El Clasico today. Um, they haven't been very good the last few matches, um, or as good as they have been, but um, we would be foolish to just kind of use that as a as an excuse to take the game lightly because they're a Champions League side. They're not a 38-game La Liga you know, in it for the long haul season team, they are a tournament side for sure. They have individual talent that could win them a match, but um, when they're when they're ticking on all cylinders, I mean, they got three or four guys that can be a threat. I mean, Modric could beat us on his own. Benzema, Vinicius, um, they can beat us on their own. You know, Valverde is good for 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 a worldly every now and then. Um, in terms of you know complete performances, Tony Cruz is still there doing his thing. They got. Courtois, let's not forget he was man of the match in, a, in the Champions League final last year, round two. So, arguably the best shot stopper in the world on their side as well. It's going to be tough. Um, but I think stylistically, we do have the players that can hurt them. Um, you know, many of them are the same players that we had the last time around when we beat them in the Champions League. Um, so, much of the same. Let's run the 3 4 3. We stick with what we know best. Um, our chances are going to come few and far in between in this game. I think we have to defend compact. We have to have all 11 players playing behind the ball when they're in possession, um, but commit numbers forward when we win the ball. And that's going to be the name of the game. Hopefully we can nick one or two and, um, you know, coast in the second leg. But I really don't have a prediction from right now, honestly. I really don't know how it's going to go. I think a month we'll is a our, long time yeah. to just kind of see, like, the injury situation. Three matches before, break. before then. Exactly. Save our predictions. Um, exactly. But closer. we we do have to point out that the winner of this matchup has won the Champions League the last two times around. Interesting. Wait, say that again. The winner of this matchup has won the Champions oh, yeah. League the last two times around. Just right. Just saying. Hmm. Um. All right, we'll wrap it up with another question from Ron. Is this the worst time to have an international break, or could this be a blessing? It's the worst. Oh. It's always the worst. There, there's never a good time for an international break no. because if shit's going bad, then the players get to go away and they think they can come back and things are good. And then when things are going good, the last thing you want to do is get these guys out of their rhythm. Like, they're gone now. The question is, are they going to come back healthy? Like, that's always an issue. We just got a healthy squad. Like, Mason Mount was even pulled from England to make sure he would be healthy for the return. I'm, I hate these. I hate them so much. And, again, we were ticking. Bump on the road against Everton. I would have rather have these guys continue to play once or twice a week in, you know, England than rather go for – wherever they're going to end up traveling to across the world to, to play for their national teams. I'm, I hate these so much. Zach, anything you want to add? No. 
Yeah, really. I think I think Andreas kind of summarized it. I think there there are good times to have an international break um, when your team for a World is... Cup, sure. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the, that's only happened one time <laughs> in in World Cup history, and it happened I this year. Ne- I've never once in my life gone, oh fuck yeah, an international break. No, no, that's not true. The last international break, I was hyped because we were playing <laughs> so shitty. I did not want to watch another Chelsea match for a month. That was that was a great pause for me. Um, but now that we're starting to heat up a little bit, even even after this draw, I don't know. Maybe it's not the best timing, but I think that wraps it up. For uh, this episode, as mentioned, we do have a little bit of an international break, which means that we'll be taking a break as well. But we'll be back uh, to recap our first match back. Um, you, One of you guys pulled this up. It's against Villa. Mm-hmm. Um, first of April. So we... Uh, we April's yeah. huge schedule-wise. It is. Yeah. April Fool's. Um, it's one of those months with 31 days. You're right. It's actually yeah, the biggest month. Um, it's huge. Wow. So yeah. uh, <laughs> it's tied that's, that's what you meant, right? <laughs> it's tied. That's what you meant, right? Like, it's a yeah, big yeah, month. yeah. Okay. That's definitely what I meant. Um, but if you aren't uh, already following us on Twitter, make sure you do. We're at Blues on Parade. Uh, Every after every match, we post a tweet asking for questions, and that's where uh, our lovely listeners get to uh, get featured on our episodes. We read off almost all of the questions that are sent in. Um, but uh, if if you're interested in that, give us a follow on Twitter. Check out uh, or keep an eye out for that tweet, and uh, you know, stay safe for this uh, international break. We'll be back soon. Uh, don't be too sad. Uh, and until then, keep the blue flag flying high. <laughs>